If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to open with me, please, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This morning we come to week four of a seven-week series that has us walking through this chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, a, a chapter which shows us how we are called on to relate to each other and then ends by showing us how we must personally relate to the teachings of, of Christ. And just think with me here, anytime you and I approach the subject of Christ or approach the teachings of Christ, I think it's important that we acknowledge that we all have expectations, meaning we have ideas about what Jesus is supposed to be like, what he is supposed to act like, expectations of what Jesus is supposed to do in every situation. Even unbelievers, think about the world that we live in, even unbelievers have expectations for how they think a loving Savior should act. Now, most of the time they're wrong, but they do have expectations. Yet when, think about this, when people in the Bible actually met Jesus, very rarely did Jesus do what they expected him to do. He had this habit over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus had this habit of, of not doing what everyone thought that he would do or he should do. For instance, he hung out with sinners. He went to war trying to win the heart of the Pharisees. And then he died on the cross. Those three, just those three things, not what people expected him to do. In fact, Jesus left many that he encountered in a kind of a dilemma. They could either go on um, with their ideas about what God was like all the while denying Jesus, or they could believe Jesus all the while denying what they had previously believed. And the reality is, that's the same choice that we have this morning. When Jesus doesn't respond the way that we think he, he should. When D, Jesus doesn't say the things that we think a loving Savior should say. Like we're going to see this morning. Like talking about hell more than he talks about heaven. What do we do in, in those moments? How do we respond when Jesus doesn't behave like we think he should? And this is when we realize the Bible calls him a lion, and it's pretty hard to tame a lion. So how do we do that when Jesus doesn't respond in that way? And when we see Jesus as a loving Savior, and sometimes we think because he's loving, he shouldn't confront. But the reality of the Word of God is because he is loving, he confronts us and puts us in uncomfortable situations in order to draw us to himself, in order to make us make a decision concerning him. Just think about the story of redemption. That's the story from the beginning all the way to the end. And throughout the Bible, man has always been given a choice concerning God. But understand this, man was never in charge of the choice. God was always in charge of the choice. Man never came to God and said, God, you do this and I'll do this. God said, no, that's not how it works. You are not in charge here. And maybe we need to hear that again this morning. But just think about choices. Through Moses, God said, I have set before you life and death. Choose life. <coughs> Through Joshua, God said, choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Through Elijah, we read that this week, God said, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. 
And every choice that we see in the Old Testament pointed towards an ultimate decision that we have to make, all of us have to make concerning Jesus. For Jesus comes on the scene and he declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God. And what Jesus is saying here is ultimately our eternity hinges on what we do with him. I, I love this quote from R.C. Sproul, not just because it's so short, but because it's so true. He says this, right now counts forever. Just think about that. Right now, right now, the decisions you make right now count forever. Or another way of putting it, what we do with Jesus now will determine our forever. What we do with him now will determine our forever. And the subject we come to this morning is a doctrine that many pastors either ignore, refusing to talk about it, or pastors make apologies for it. And let me just say this, I will not apologize for God. I, I, I am not going to act like God needs me to cover for him. I'm not going to apologize for God's ways. I'm not going to apologize for God's word. I'm not going to do it. I refuse to do it. God is... Is too good, he's too true for an untrue individual as I can be to stand up here and think I have to cover for him. Thankfully, God has covered for us, and he has done that through his son. But let me also say that I, I'm, I pray that I will approach this subject today not with pride, but with compassion, realizing that there might be some today that will find themselves through this time in the word, will find themselves on a wide road that's leading to destruction and my prayer for those, those individuals is that they would come to understand that there is a narrow road, but there is a way that leads to Christ and, and, and guarantees us Christ now and forever. And I pray that any who aren't on those roads will come to find life in Christ today. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word. We're going to read Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14 together, and then just jump into this together. So it says this, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, coming to your word, thanking you for your word. Thanking you, God, that you, you take us on at very uncomfortable places, God, in order to draw us more to yourself. So do that today all across this room. For those who are your children, God, draw us closer to yourself today through this. For those, any who are in here or will be in here that aren't your children, may today be the day of salvation for them. Speak to us, O oh God, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So last week, while Misty was out of town, I was trying to keep my head above the water, trying to take care of all of the kids. And one night, um, Morgan was away with a friend, so I took Madison and Malachi out to dinner. Um, after taking them out to dinner, we went out um, to the car. I, Madison got in. I put Malachi in his seat, and we go to take the trip home. I get on airport road right here, and I'm going the speed limit. I don't know what the speed limit is on airport road, but I'm pretty sure I was going it because that's, I always go the speed limit. Um, so doing that, and in the midst of going the speed limit, you see where I'm going with this? In the midst of going the speed limit there on airport road, I, I hear something on the roof, 
And then I hear something hit the back of the car, and, I'm, and it was loud, and Malachi screams out, what's that? And of course, I said, I don't know what that is. So I look in my rearview mirror, and I see something bouncing down the road. And it was in that moment that I realized that in putting Malachi in his seat, I had set my cell phone on top of the car, and uh, it was bouncing the street in the opposite direction. So I quickly did a U-turn, and I realized traffic was coming towards me, so I pulled over in the grass. Um, I was about 50 yards away by that point, so I got out of the car. I started running. I thought I was running pretty fast. When I got back in the car, Madison said, why were you running so slow? So I, I don't know what was happening there. But as I'm running, I'm thinking, cars are, I mean, I've never seen so many cars on Airport Road in that moment. They're just zooming by, zooming by. And all the while, as I'm running to my phone, I'm thinking, man, I'm so glad I got the insurance. So, so glad I purchased the insurance on that one. And so I, I get where I can finally see the phone. It is about two feet from the middle line. It's probably in the worst possible place it could be. And cars are just flying by. And finally, this whole flock of cars flies by. And there's one car coming about probably five seconds away. And I have a decision. So my decision was I jump out in the middle of the road. And I go, and I'm walking across. And uh, I get my phone. I look at it. <laughs> seems to be okay. And... Um, get back in the car and I show him my phone and then Malachi says, do it again, daddy, do it again. <laughs> and I said, um, no, buddy, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do it, do it again. And for the next few days, that's what all he kept saying is, dad, do it again, put it on the car again. He thought that was great. But just, and, and thinking about, thinking about the past that Jesus just told us or before us, I want you to understand we're all on one of them. So all of us are on one path. And if you say you're on the narrow path, so if you say you're on the path that leads to God, that has him in it, yet, let me say this, when you fall and bounce on that road, if your only thought is, well, I have insurance. I have a get-out-of-hell-free card. If that's your only thought and your thought is, I have a Savior who is with me, then you might be missing it. So that's what I kind of want to flesh out today. And in this moment, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes all of the options that we think we have. And we think we have a lot of options, don't we? I mean, think about all the decisions that we have to make every day of our lives. And Jesus takes all of the options and he narrows them down to just two. Jesus says we have two options, either life with me or life without me. Either life with me or life without me. Those are your choices. So in thinking about those choices, I want us to quickly unpack three truths concerning the choices that Christ puts before us this morning. So the first is this. There are two opposing gates that we can enter. There are two opposing gates that we can enter. Jesus says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. There are many there and the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So according to Jesus, there are, are two gates that we can enter in this life. One is narrow and its path is difficult. The other is wide and its path is easy. And these gates lead to two different places. Yet, get this, both of these gates claim to be the way to God. This wide gate doesn't say this is the way to hell. No, it says this is the way to heaven. Just 
Come in this, it doesn't require anything, but you will get to heaven. This says the same thing that the narrow gate says, but it doesn't lead to where the narrow gate leads. Think about this. The wide gate is easy to find. It is easy to walk, to walk in. When we come to this wide gate, we don't have to leave anything behind. We don't have to leave our sin. We don't have to leave our self-righteousness. There is no repentance required. No life change is involved. Christ doesn't have to be worshipped. There is plenty of room for diversity of opinions and, and beliefs on this path. No one will ever judge or criticize what you think or what you believe on this path. It's a path of tolerance. It's a path of permissiveness. It has no curbs. It has no rules. It has no boundaries of either thought or, or conduct. And in this gate, in this wide gate, according to Jesus, there are a whole lot of people. Which in our minds, tends to, we tend to think, well, maybe I'm on the right path because everybody's with me. So maybe I'm just doing okay. Everybody is, is here. Yet, think about this. I can't think of many times in the Bible where the Bible shows us that the majority had the right opinion or made the right decision. Most of the time when we see the majority in the Bible, they're making the wrong choices over and over and over again. So again, the wide gate is easy to find it's easy to walk in, but it ends in disaster. And in contrast to the wide gate, there is, according to Jesus, a narrow gate that is hard to find and is difficult to walk in. This narrow gate lets no self-righteousness, no worldly lust in. Self must be denied. Temptations must be resisted. Sin must be repented of. Christ and Christ alone must be worshipped. And this gate must be entered into, get this, individually. This narrow gate is not a mile wide. This narrow gate, as most scholars say, is a turnstile, and it will only let one person through at a time. Just, just follow with me here. When it comes to this narrow gate, you don't get a group rate. You don't get a family discount. Meaning, just because you're hanging out with good people doesn't mean you're going where they're going. And just because your grandparents or parents are Christians doesn't mean you're automatically in. In fact, in order to get into the narrow gate, through the narrow gate, it must be your decision. It must be your personal decision. It also might require a break from the crowd. In fact, let me say this. Going through the narrow gate might cost you every relationship you have. And I know in America that doesn't sound too, too nice or too happy, but I think back to our trips in India, and I could name probably 10 different conversations I've had with individuals, pastors who came up to me, and their story went something like this. I was a Hindu. I was a Muslim. I came to Christ. My parents disowned me. All I had was Jesus, and he's worth it. Over and over again. That conversation. And then I think about how many times I've had that same conversation here in America with people who've come to this church and said, I feel like God's leading me to do this, but I, I, I feel like if I do this, I'm going to be going against everything my, my parents raised me in. And unfortunately, I think of all those conversations I've had with people who said, I feel like if I do what God's called me to do in this moment, I will be going against the way my parents raised me. 90% of those aren't here. They chose family over what God was telling them in that moment. It's not easy. It's not easy. 
in that moment. But let me just say this. Christ is worth it. Christ is worth it. Or to put it this way, think about it on another standpoint. Many people spend salvation in this way. Just pray a prayer or just acknowledge a few things and you're good. You're good, yet think about it. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus said, no, this way is hard. Few people find it. It reminds me of the words of Robert Frost, who wrote this poem. And of course, it's not a Christian poem, nor was he a Christian man. But it says, two rows diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And he says, two rows diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. By the grace of God, he has placed, I pray, us in this room on the narrow road through Christ. And it is, I pray, making a difference in us. So there are two opposing gates that we can enter. But secondly, there are two everlasting destinies that we can encounter. Two everlasting destinies. Jesus says the way that's easy leads to destruction and the way that is hard leads to life. So the Bible teaches that, the Word of God teaches very clearly that after death there are two options. There is either eternal death or as Jesus describes here, what's called destruction or eternal death life and the point is this picture of destruction that jesus describes here is the default setting of every human being so it's our default setting our default setting is not heaven our default setting is eternal destruction eternal death and some people view this word destruction as meaning well annihilation if we don't choose god then we just cease to be and if you choose god then you keep going but that's not what jesus says here Destruction here means utter and hopeless loss of all that is worth living. And yet it even goes more than that. For, for hell is an awful reality for those who turn from Jesus. In the words of Tim Keller, listen to this. If Jesus, the Lord of love and the author of grace, spoke about hell more often and in more vivid, blood-curdling manner than anyone else, it must be a crucial truth. For including this verse in Matthew 7, there are 30 different instances in the Gospels where Jesus spoke about eternal punishment. And yet we act like, how dare the pastor speak on that? 30 different times. And we must understand that this isn't just a warning for those people out there. Jesus is giving a warning for all people. In fact, listen to what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says, hell is going to be the greatest monument for human freedom. All God does in the end with people is to give them what they want, including freedom from himself. Listen to that. What God does in the end is give people what they want. What could be more fair than that? There are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, or those to whom God will say, thy will be done. Just follow me. Two types of people. Either those who look at God and say, God your will be done, or those whom God will look at and say, no, your will be done. Hell is a place of eternal separation from God. And just, just think about this. Those who wanted none of Christ in this life will have none of Christ for all of eternity. Those who wanted, think about even in the book of Acts, it says that Judas went to his own place. The place he lived for 
is the place he goes to after death. Yet on the other side of this picture of eternal death stands the very good picture of eternal life. And I'm so thankful that we have that hope and that we have that to rejoice in. For for heaven is an awesome reality for those who trust in Christ. But let me just kind of flesh it out this way. Nobody really wants to go to hell. But that doesn't really mean they want to go to heaven. So just because people don't want to go to hell doesn't necessarily mean they want to go to heaven except for the heaven that they create on their own. The heaven that exists of eternal virgins as the um, Muslims have created or eternal golf or eternal fishing. All your former pets are waiting on you when you get there. And you might say, Micah, do you believe that dogs go to heaven? And I, I, I say this. If your dogs are waiting on you when you get to heaven, then every chicken you ate in this world will also be waiting on you and uh, asking you why you did it. So just just think about that thought and go home and eat your chicken in, in peace today. But Or every family member is going to be there. Everyone except for Jesus. Just think about this. Most people who claim to be Christians, if you ask them about heaven, the last thing they say is Jesus. In fact, it brings the words of John Piper to my mind. Listen to what he says. A critical question for our generation, for every generation, is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you could ever enjoy, all the natural beauties you could ever see with no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ weren't there? And that is the heaven that many people speak of. And let me just say this. It doesn't matter. You can get everything you want to. If Christ isn't there, it's not heaven. And let me just say this, there, there's nothing supernatural about not wanting to go to hell. I don't look at my kids and say, man, you're mighty godly because you don't want me to punish you right now. There's nothing, there's nothing more godly about not wanting to be punished. Who wants to be punished? None of us want to be, to be punished. The, the point is this, being saved is more than just fear of hell. Being saved is desire for Christ. It's wanting Christ. Therefore, let me just say this, any thought about heaven that doesn't center around God is not biblical. I'm just saying. Any thought about heaven that does not center around God is not biblical. If your first thought about heaven is just family or mansions or gold, then you need to come back to the word of God because it all centers around him. Now, I'm not saying we don't take comfort in loved ones. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we don't take comfort in those things or, or take comfort in the fact that there will be no more sickness and no more pain. There, there's comfort there. But the only reason there's comfort there is because God is there. And therefore, that is the reality of our lives. And I, I'm so afraid that there are many people who are preaching a gospel that says, just make this one-time decision, just pray this, this prayer, and you'll go to heaven. And you'll no longer have to worry about hell. And many have become converts to that way of thought. But think about this. What if the ultimate question is not, do you want to go to heaven when you die? What if the ultimate question is this? 
do you want God? What if that was the ultimate question? And I'm here telling you according to the authority of God's word, that is the question. The question is not, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Who doesn't want to go to heaven when they die? The question is, do you want God now and do you want him forever? Do you want him now and do you want him forever? There are two everlasting destinies that we will encounter and they all center around what we do with God right now. Which leads us to the last truth, which is this. There is one amazing relationship that we must embrace. One amazing relationship that we must embrace. This is the whole point of what Jesus is doing here. He's pointing people back to himself. As he said in John 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Or in Matthew 11, come to me. If you're weak and heavy laden, if you're weary, come to me. Every person in this room, every person in this, on this planet, every person in all of history is on a particular path awaiting a particular outcome of that path. Again, right now counts forever. Right now counts forever. What we do with Christ counts forever, which begs the question, how can we know? How can we know that we have eternal life? How can we know that we have eternal life and not just on a, that we're just on a road that leads there? I think sometimes we, that's our thought. We're on a road that leads to eternal life, and hopefully one day we'll we'll realize that we've got eternal life, but that's not the picture of the Bible. The picture of the Bible is not we're on a road and we hope it ends in eternal life. The picture is that we are walking now in eternal life. In fact, Jesus says this is eternal life, that they may know you, O God, and the one whom you sent. We do that now. So how do we know? How do we know that we have eternal life? And there's a lot of questions that we could ask, especially questions related to our past. Have you done this? Have you prayed that? Have you said this? Have you believed this? But I, I honestly believe the most important question that we can ask to determine our, where we are in Christ is not related to our past. Have you done this? Did you say this? I believe the best question is, is this currently true of you? Is this currently true? So let me ask you two questions about you right now. First of all, are you currently turning from Christ? Are you currently in this moment turning away from Jesus? Are you turning away from truth? Are you living with the masses, comfortable with what they're doing? Are you claiming to live on the narrow road all the while walking with the majority? Living just like they live. Are you in this moment trusting more in yourself than you are in him? Are you turning from Christ or are you currently trusting in Christ? Are you seeking and desiring his glory and, and his honor? Are you living as though you are dead to sin and alive to Christ? Are you following Christ? That's the whole point of being a Christian. A Christian is called a Christ follower. So don't call yourself a Christian if you're not following Christ. It's kind of the whole point of it. We follow, we trust Christ, therefore we follow him. We're found in him. And just, just think about this. If you're waiting on the good news, here's the good news. There is only one who is able to take the wrath of God upon himself and free us from it. And he did it. There's only one, and he has already done it. He's done it. Therefore, the question for us is, have you turned from trusting in yourself? Have you turned from your sin, repented, turned away, and have you instead turned in faith, trusting in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? 
The point of this is that no one, no one who ends up in heaven, no one who is in heaven, no one who's a citizen of heaven, let me say that better, no one who is in heaven will ever be able to take credit for them being in heaven. For we will forever be reminded of the debt of Jesus. In fact, let me just say this. Do you know what the only man-made thing that will ever be in heaven? There's only one thing, only one man-made thing that will be in heaven. You know what it is? The scars of Jesus. The scars of Jesus. The only man-made thing. In Revelation 4 and 5, we see the, lamb, the lion, though he was a lamb, as though he had been slain. Will forever in heaven be reminded of the sacrifice of Christ for us. No soul in heaven will ever take responsibility for being there. And get this, no soul in hell will ever be able to blame God for them being in hell. For they wanted no part of Christ in this life and they will have no part of Christ forever. But let me just say this, if you do not want Christ, if you do not desire to make much of Christ, then you really don't want heaven, regardless of what you, what you say you want. I read an article this week and from a, a Christian blogger, and these words just hit me, especially as I was preparing for today's message. And It's from Matt Walsh, and just let me share these with you. It says this, When our time comes and we stand before the throne of judgment, I imagine that God will only need to ask one question. What do you want? And we, for the first time, will be forced to answer honestly. I fear that a great many will have no choice but to look at him and say, Myself, Lord, only myself. Yet I pray and I have hope that you and I will be able to answer with gratitude and joy, You, Lord, only you. And no matter what response we give, God's response will be, so be it. So be it. There will come a day, I could not agree with that anymore, there will come a day where we will stand before God, God will ask us one question, what do you want? And we will not be able to stand before him and lie. Therefore, we will either say, myself, God, I just want me. I want me. I want me. I want me to be lifted up and exalted. And God will say, have your way. And you will spend forever seeing what that looks like. Or by the grace of God, we will stand before God and he will say, what do you want? And we'll say, you, Lord, I've only wanted you. I've only desired you. What else, O oh God, can compare to you? Nothing on earth, as the psalmist says, can compare to you. God in that moment will say, welcome home. Welcome home. The question for us becomes today, what road do you find yourself on? Are you in this moment turning from Christ or are you in this moment trusting in Christ? If you are here today and you are through this word, through the living word of God, if you have been identified as being one who is on the wide road leading to destruction, my plea to you today according to the word of God is turn from your sin. Turn from trusting in yourself. Cry out to God from the depths of your heart. Ask him to save you. Acknowledge that you believe that Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. He lived a perfect life. He died a death for the sins of the world and he conquered the grave.
and lean everything that you are upon him. As Apostle Paul says, when the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I pray today, if there's any in this room who have not, have never made this decision, that today would be the day of salvation for you. And then I pray for any believers in this room that the cares and concerns, the thoughts of this world have overwhelmed us and we find, our, we find ourselves, we're on, a, we're on a narrow path, but we find ourselves looking at the wide road a whole lot. And we've lost our way. And I pray that today that God would, by his grace, bring us back and realize that this, this road that Christ calls us on is not easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And may, may we be able to say today, Lord, I want you. I want you. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to call the musicians forward. And let's pray together. Father, in this moment, there is nothing more important that we can do than to pause. All of us and to reflect upon the question, what have we and what are we doing with Jesus? Have we and are we turning from him? Denying him? Not acknowledging him? Not worshiping him? Not thinking much of him? Not trusting at all? Or are we trusting in him? Understanding that he is the only savior of sinners in the world and there will not come a day that we will not need him. That apart from him we can do nothing. Father, I pray today for any person in this room that through your word today have, has found themselves on a wide path that's leading to destruction. God, by your grace, you have brought them here for this very moment. And I pray, God, that you would allow them in this moment just to cry out to you. And just to confess that they have sinned against you that they are not deserving of heaven and their only hope is Jesus. May they cry out to Jesus to save them from their sins. May they not trust in themselves. May they trust in Jesus and what he has done for them. Lord, we thank you that your word says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that all of us today would do a spiritual examination of, of who we're living for in this moment. Is it for ourselves or is it for Jesus? If that question was asked of us right now, what do we want? What would we say? Would it be myself and only myself? Or would it be you, Lord, and only you? God, strip us of those things that are not pleasing to you and fill us with all that is you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.